0: Welcome to Where I'm From, the podcast that proves that no matter how far you go, you'll always keep a little piece of home with you. I'm Bill Meeks. As we welcome 2023 in a brand new season of Where I'm From, I'm offering up some of my favorite moments from season one, gratis. Stay tuned for some delicious free samples from our first season, including Stephen Toplowski, Kelly Vrooman, Paul Zaloom. Brian Brushwood, Ashley Verma, Jason Inman, and more. It's the Where I'm From Season 1 Sampler Platter, and you can totally take more than one. It's okay, baby. Hey folks, this is Bill Meeks, and it's a new year, which means I have a whole new season of Where I'm From coming your way starting next week uh before we do that though i thought it was worth going over all of the episodes of season one and pulling out the best uh uh, most funny most awesome clips from everybody's episodes uh so um yeah and then uh basically what i'm going to do today is i'm going to take those clips i'm going to mix them up and then i'm going to offer them up to you kind of like the sampler lady at costco (laughs) as you see in the uh the title image for this episode. Now, if you're watching live on YouTube, I'll be sharing some commentary in the chat room as we go through and watch these clips. And I'll be back in between every clip for some added context, maybe a couple behind the scenes stories, uh, stuff like that, just to, you know, make this more than just a clip show, Uh, but it is a clip show. (laughs) All right, well, I think that about does it for uh, intro. So why don't we go ahead and get started? Um, First off, uh, is going to be the pilot a clip from the pilot episode of Where I'm From. Now, if you weren't aware, this podcast started as a an entry in a reality competition called America's Next Top Podcaster that I produced with the help of my partner September McGrady, who I hope to have on the show soon. Uh, basically, uh, we were tasked with interviewing a celebrity, uh, which was Ali Spagnola, who's a musician and YouTube. Uh, artist out here in Los Angeles, who I actually had known beforehand. And uh, I had talked to her about all of her creative stuff a lot when she was on my old show, I Made This. So when it came time to interview Allie, I was like, well, we got to find a new angle because I already spent an hour and a half talking to her about her creative life. So we batted some ideas around and I came up with the idea, why don't we talk to her about where she's from? Because I lived in Pittsburgh for a while. I spent a lot of my life right outside of Pittsburgh in Wheeling, West Virginia. So I can probably find a lot of Pittsburgh-y kind of stuff to talk to Allie about, right? So that was the idea. And we produced the episode pilot, a 10-minute episode, and... It won the week, uh, which was awesome. And so when it came time to develop a new podcast for my sponsor, Stream Studio, go to Billmeeks.com slash where I'm from and click on the banner to uh, check out Stream Studio. I sent them three or four podcasts that I had produced for America's Next Top Podcaster that I thought, you know, hey, maybe they'll like one of these. And they really liked where I'm from. And here we are. One season later, uh, you know, talking about the pilot still. But this is going to be the last time I talk about it. Uh, It's a really fun little clip, though, that I pulled here. Um, So basically, you know, there's a lot of stuff that's very local to Pittsburgh. Uh, Stuff like Kennywood and Edgar Snyder. And we kind of dig into it here in this first clip from the pilot. So I'll go ahead and play that for you now. Back to Pittsburgh, uh, there are a few uh, bigger names in the Pittsburgh scene. I was wondering if you've ever had any encounters with a famous Yenzer.
1: Famous Yenzer? Oh, man, like Donnie Iris? <laughs>
0: yeah, or, or B.E. Taylor.
1: Oh, wait, yes. Oh, my goodness. I was eating at Pie in Squirrel Hill. Jeez, uh-huh. I, I sound like such Yenzer. I don't even know if Pi exists anymore. It was a pizza restaurant. I don't even know if Squirrel Hill exists anymore. Anyway... <laughs> Right across from me in the booth was attorney Edgar Snyder. Ooh. Oh, my goodness. And this means nothing to most people. But I instantly <laughs> keyed in. All is. my friends at home would be on, be on the edge of their seat about this story. He is a uh, infamous lawyer oh, in yes. Pittsburgh, only because he runs a bunch of oh. ads. I really love dogs,
2: but not when they injure someone. I'm attorney Edgar Snyder.
0: Yeah, he's like
1: the Better Call
0: Saul of Pittsburgh.
1: Yes, exactly. Yeah, you got it. And he's so <laughs> remarkable. Like he's in his face is in every ad. So you you know what he looks like. But to see him in person, I was just, oh, starstruck. <laughs> and he always says at the end of his commercials, there's no fee unless we get money for you. <laughs> yes, yes, I remember that. One of the things
0: I loved most about Pittsburgh is very celebrated amusement park Kennywood. <gasps> I have
1: so much love for Kennywood.
3: All aboard for Kennywood. You just have to see it or ride it to believe that there can be I used to
1: work there. I don't know if this information is anywhere publicly. (laughs) Yeah, I used to paint faces at Kennywood and it was so fun. It was so elaborate. I would turn people into dragons and cyborgs.
0: (laughs) All aboard. Let's go to Kennywood. Got to love Kennywood Park. Uh, You know, I, I, I have so many fond memories of that place and it, i also got to take my kids there a few years ago when we we're up north uh visiting some family and uh you know it's changed but it's still a great park and they still have some of the old coasters like the jack rabbit and the racer uh that just kind of like they really beat you up and you know the older i get the more it feels like you know they're beating me up all right so let's see here um let me check one thing cool all right so um Yeah, next up is uh, one of my favorite interviews I did the entire season, season, which is a comedian, comedian, actress, performer, YouTube sensation, also former child show host, Kelly Vrooman. Uh, Now, I met Kelly through another Kelly we'll hear from in a little bit. Kelly Rans from the Humor Mill, Orlando, where, where I was a cast member for their 2020-2021 season. It was a weird season because, you know, pandemic. But it was a lot of fun being on that sketch team. I And I got to meet Kelly Vrooman uh, through there, and she ended up being a great guest. There were so many fun moments from this episode. I had to really dig and kind of narrow it down to find one. But I think I did. And this clip, I'm going to title. I'm going to give you no other preamble for it. But this is Kelly Vrooman in the Applebee's Vortex.
4: Okay, so modern Mansfield, downtown Mansfield, has had a beautiful revitalization happen. Mm -hmm. Like, there is this really cool wine shop where you go downstairs and you, like, actually are, like, drinking wine among the wine barrels in this wine Mm -hmm. cellar. It's rad. And then there's the, the downtown, like, main block has this beautiful white gazebo and they've really made it this like beautiful garden area. They've mm-hmm. they've done a lot of cool things that I think are like oh my gosh, a Hallmark movie needs to film in downtown Mansfield. It's it's yeah. really idyllic right now. But then Ontario, which is now <laughs> where, I'm, where I'm from, who am I? Uh, Hold on, let
0: me cross out Mansfield and yeah. put Ontario. <laughs> Ontario, <laughs> <At the
4: title. laughs> Ohio. It has, that's where like the mall was and then it built out to be that's where the Ma- Walmart came and the Target and the Meyer and the Sam's Club all came to Ontario. And so that then became where all the restaurants and the Applebee's and the <laughs> when I got married, my husband and I got married in the middle of the woods in Asheville, South Carolina with just our parents who had never met before and our siblings and their spouses, like no nieces, nephews, no, you know, there were a couple like aunts that we would have liked to have been there. It was, it was, it was, but you know, it was just so super, super small and super immediate, but we then did a local like Mansfield, Ohio wedding for all Mm -hmm. of the people. My husband grew up in Indiana. He's from Oregon, but grew up in Indiana and we did a local thing there. And afterward, we were like, what's open? We need an after hang. Where do we go? <laughs> Guess where we went. I'm gonna give you three guesses. Three guesses. Three guesses. Where did we go for a late night hang in a small town?
0: Uh, I would assume the the local bar. Okay, be more specific. Um, The local <clears throat> sports bar. Think chain restaurant. Uh, Oh, what are the ones that are in Ohio? Um, Think chain restaurant
4: that is everywhere.
0: (laughs) Applebee's? Yes!
4: (laughs) I got it! (laughs) You got it! Oh, it's third guess. Freaking (laughs) Applebee's is where we had our after party. And I will tell you, my friends that came from out of town, that came from Philadelphia or L.A. were digging the jam of the the Ontario, Ohio Applebee's. I mean, there's something Mm -hmm. about it that you were just like... I cannot believe I am in absolute formal attire, chilling <laughs> at 1 a.m., shoving apps in my face, drinking mm-hmm. giant 28-ounce tubs of margarita <laughs> 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 and just loving my life. We just took over. I mean, everybody was like loving it. Some game from who knows what year is mm-hmm. on all the screens. Gosh, it was awesome
0: yeah well that's the kind of the interesting thing about applebee's is when someone suggests applebee's you're like eh, applebee's okay <laughs> but once you're there and you've had a couple drinks in you it's like okay this is my applebee's this it is, is this is my you place. own it
4: it is your place it is truly the cheers it is the universal cheers of atle- mm-hmm. at, i'm just, i think midwest america <laughs> <laughs> definitely of ohio any and, city uh, in ohio <laughs>
0: Drinks are priced to uh, overindulge. Definitely.
4: Absolutely. They are. They are. They are there to serve the college student, the Mm -hmm. the sports lover, the recent divorcee. I mean, they are. (laughs) Applebee's is there for you.
5: (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. They give you enough well drinks that the appetizers seem really, really tasty. And then and then it's just like that's how they make their money.
4: Yeah. (laughs) But if you honestly, I would beg to I would I would beg to differ that the that the appetizers are really tasty. They are Mm -hmm. packed full of whatever junk and trash our bodies are not supposed to have, but just crave. And I'm sure will hurt us evolutionarily going forward. Mm
0: -hmm. And and then it's like a a cycle because like you have like the fat and the salt and then that makes you really thirsty. (sighs) So you grab the drink and then you're like, oh, I'm hungry again. And then you eat, and it. Vicious cycle, vicious Honestly, cycle. I don't know how we ever leave Applebee's. Now that you're saying this, it is It is like it is
4: a a, a pit of, what is it when it's called? A vortex. It's a vortex. vortex. <laughs> <laughs> this a episode vortex. is called Kelly Broman and the
0: Applebee's Vortex. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. I'm going to write that down right here. I have had some very interesting experiences at Applebee's, mainly involving expense accounts, but I'm going to save those stories for another day. Kelly was great though. I'm really hoping, I think we're going to have my, our first repeat guest and Kelly's going to come back on sometime in season two to talk specifically about Philadelphia, where she lived when she got uh, her, her uh, big break on the Sunny Side Up show on Sprout TV, the kid show <laughs> that she was on. Before we go on, I did want to say that uh, some, a couple of people wrote in on the Kelly Vrooman episode and AM Grimes39 said, oh, yeah, her mom was my science teacher. Because we talked a bit about what it was like growing up as the child of a student or a, a child of a teacher, rather. And PEM7 said, this is a great share. We love Sprout and my wife and I are cracking up about this. Kelly, uh, you know. She's outgrown her ch- children's show host roots, so it's no surprise that it's a little, probably a little shocking for people who knew her from that. <laughs> this one coming up, I, I'm still pinching myself over this one. I, now, Bare Naked Ladies, if you know me at all, I, I I'm Bill, the Bare Naked Ladies guy. They've been my favorite band since around 1999, and I've loved everything that Stephen Page has produced since he left the band too. I he had a situation where he decided to leave the band uh, probably about 10 years ago now. And he's put out a few solo albums and he does these great live from home live streams that I watch all the time where he, he plays Request. And I'm actually going to see him live here in Los Angeles. I think next week at the Troubadour. I'm really excited about it. Hopefully, uh, you know, I can snap a picture for all you where I'm fromies, which I guess is what I'm going to be calling you now. Uh, now, during the interview, I was too nervous to dig too much into their history since, you know, the band kind of split off in a couple different directions, but Steve was really open about everything and giving as he told stories he's likely told a hundred times before about the formation of the band and, you know, their origin story. Uh, most interestingly, he talks about the pressure he felt to stay Canadian as Naked Ladies hit the big time in the United States. That sort of responsibility he felt. But anyway, uh, enough of me rambling. We didn't know
6: anybody else from scarborough we knew them when we would go downtown to toronto and then you'd be like oh you like you know whatever so i know mike myers older brother paul who i'm good friends with and he we opened for his band a bunch and so on we're like oh you grew up in that area or whatever else and like you kind of like it was almost like like i was saying before a bit of a secret um you know and most of those guys like kids in the hall are a little bit older than us so for us like they were definitely part of the same scene as us, part of the downtown, like they played rock clubs as opposed to comedy clubs. Um, but they were mm-hmm. already like when we, when we started playing down there, they were already a big ticket in those clubs. So when we got to know them yeah, better in the nineties, they were kind of at the top of their game. And because we had become successful as well, you end up kind of rubbing shoulders in a different way. Yeah. You know? I was going to say about the, the the weekend, for example. You know, he's from he's from Scarborough. And he's probably the biggest star ever to come from Scarborough. um But you know, you mm-hmm. want to, like, or you know, in our day too, would be like Maestro Fresh West was a was a rapper who was really big in Canada, and he was from Scarborough. And he'd rap about Scarborough places, and he'd be like, he's talking about Scarborough. But you know, like, <laughs> I have to stop if I ever met the Weekend, I would have to like stop myself from kind of like going, hey scarborough i'd have to wait for him he being the bigger star would have to be the one to initiate the point
0: and say scarborough yeah and and then you could engage with him on that level exactly you probably feel a responsibility right to kind of like promote that area and give back to that area in your art when you're promoting your art all that stuff where do you think that stems from
6: I think part of it for us was, I mean, I don't think we, I don't feel that way necessarily now. I do feel grateful Mm -hmm. for the time I had, but at the time I felt like there was a Canadian, I mean, I mean, I hadn't fully figured it out, but Canadians really like, like they like to identify other Canadians out in the world, outside of Canada. You know, it's one of Mm -hmm. these things, you know, and I'm Jewish too. And Jews do this all the time. Like, Oh, did you know this actor was Jewish. You know, this guy was Jewish. Um, And so to be, you know, if there was someone who was Canadian and Jewish, like well, that's like Leonard Cohen, that's perfect. But that uh, your new best friend. That's right. <laughs> but you, uh, so I think as a kid, you're always thinking about that stuff, but adults do it too. But there's always the sense we would have people stop me, you know, stop us on the street and say, hey guys, you know, love what you do, stay Canadian. And it was almost like a threat. It was like, <laughs> you better stay Canadian. Don't, don't go to LA. And I mean, even though the people like this don't, um, who say that stuff? They probably super. They're big Neil Young fans, but for some mm-hmm. reason, me. <laughs> don't you dare go to Los Angeles. Uh, don't you <laughs> dare follow your dreams as long. Keep your dreams small. It's a very. It's a very <laughs> weird thing. It's like don't get too. If you get big outside of Canada, we might just mm-hmm. disown you. Um, and I think some of that comes from things like I think, especially for our generation, when Gretzky got. Traded to uh to Los Angeles in '88. It's the same year also when Ben Johnson got uh accused of of uh, cheating in the Olympics and lost his gold medal. And I think those two things were hugely emotional things for Canadians in general. And I think they messed with the Canadian psyche, that Canadians were nervous, became nervous that that they would become somehow laughingstocks or the thing that made them feel Canadian is all of a sudden mm-hmm. no longer Canadian. How do you reconcile that? And I think sometimes Canadians yeah. overthink it. So I think we always mm-hmm. felt like if we won an award or whatever else, we had to go, hey, Canada, Scarborough, just <laughs> to let everybody know that we hadn't changed. And um, so
0: they didn't throw the full boxes of Kraft macaroni and cheese on stage when he came back.
6: That's right. And they, uh, you know, they, so, I, but I think, I think now we realize that like, you know, it, it wasn't it wasn't worth it. They'll turn on you anyways. There's nothing mm-hmm. you can do to to make them not turn on you. They, they, when they want to, they will. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. but we wanted people to and and the, the idea of the idea that we had of let's show people we haven't changed is mm-hmm. kind of is kind of bogus because like you're allowed to change. Yeah. I mean, be aware of where you came from and be grateful for that but you're i mean I, I encourage people to change. You don't have it all figured out when you're 20.
0: Oh, absolutely not. If i if i if i had to live by the decisions of my 20-year-old self, i would be in a bad bad place. Yeah. Exactly. I think I drove
6: downtown in the rain. on a Tuesday Just checked out the
7: late
0: late night record shop. Sorry about that. <laughs> um, it's my BN, inner BNL fan uh, coming out in uh, my horrible voice, but very excited to actually get to see Steve in person uh, in, a, in about a week here here in Los Angeles. I don't think I've seen him perform live since about a year and a half before he left the band, so very, very excited for that. Um, oh, I'll also mention if you're watching this live stream over at at Meeks LA on YouTube or on Facebook at facebook.com slash where I'm from podcast, feel free to drop a comment into the chat room while I'm playing these clips. I'm in there kind of giving some behind the scenes uh, hints at what's happening, but I'd love to feature any reactions you guys have to the clips as we go. All right. Speaking of the clips, next up is Ashley Verma. Uh, now, if you don't If you've never heard of Ashley Verma, she runs a mommy blog. Uh, I hope that that's not diminutive. That's just a descriptor uh, called Busy Mumsy. Uh, I've known her for years. Uh, She sat next to me in high school in personal communications class. And, uh, you know, she went on to be a Broadway dancer and actress. And now she's living. um, Well, she is kind of living in London, but she's in I believe, Africa right now um, with her husband Uh, while he's doing some work there. Very fascinating person, very fascinating life. But she's from around the area that I'm from, the Ohio Valley in West Virginia. Uh, And honestly, I think this might have been my favorite discussion in season two, because a lot of times things can keep pretty light and airy and any drama or firm opinions are coming from my guest. Because we were talking about an area where I'm from. Uh, You know, I had some kind of harder opinions about the Ohio Valley, too, and she pushed back on that, uh, which I really enjoy when a guest kind of pushes back on, you know, assumptions i'm making in my questions. It makes for an interesting conversation for you guys hopefully and it makes for an interesting conversation for me that hopefully leads me somewhere to a new thought, a new process that i hadn't considered before. Just like Ashley did here, uh defending our hometown from my baggage about our hometown.
8: Yeah, I mean I I I'm from that family that grew up with like my my grandfather worked in the the power plants. And my dad did at one point early on, um, before he started his own business. Mm-hmm. I even like, remember like my grand my grandpa, Pap, I mean, he passed away young. I mean, his lungs were black. Yeah. Um, they, and they still couldn't actually figure out like what really happened. But you know, one day he woke up and his speech just went and he just like, quickly went downhill and there was just like nothing you could do. And that's, but, and that's the area, but that those were the jobs that were available. You know, I, I also am from a military family. Um, you know, my, my grand, my my grandfather and my uncles, a lot of them are military. My brother is, was military. He's retired now. So, and and that's like one of the things that I'm sure you remember, Bill is like, and I, I do find that a lot of people are always fascinated by this. When you go to high school in a state like West Virginia, military start turning up to your school by ninth grade. Oh, yeah. By ninth grade, they are handing out pamphlets, whether they're allowed to come in or they have to stand outside near the bus stop and they're handing them out. I don't know what the rules are Mm -hmm. now. We're talking about it's it's been a minute, but... It is I remember at the entry of Wheeling Park High School, there was table set up and men were men and women decked out in their military garb and they were handing out pamphlets and like all of it. And you were just like, th- we, we're, we're targeted like we are a state that is actually yeah. targeted for military.
0: Yeah. And kind of kind of maliciously too. like, uh, you, you know, they would they would be like, yeah, you, you're you going
8: to here's 10 grand. Here's 10 grand.
0: And you'll never have to fight. Don't worry. We're never going to be in a war. And
8: of course, a 16 year old's going to go home and be like, Mom, Dad, they're going to give me 10 grand. And then the parents are like, No, it's filling up. Don't do it. And they're like, Oh, I already did.
0: Well, it's like, you know, especially in an area like West Virginia, like there were some people's parents who didn't make 10 grand in a year. So that was like a huge thing. That was like, you know, life changing money, or it seemed to be.
8: You know, my, my brother went to, West Liberty state college. He was supposed to go to Bethany and that just went to shit, but he ended up going to West Liberty. And again, this goes back to, he was a great runner. Um, but my brother, um, he just needed, he needed, I, I feel like he needed someone to tell him, like constantly coach, constantly coach B right next to him. Cause the minute, if he was in a bigger group, he'd be like, well, they're all doing it. So I might as well Um, and I think that when he went to West Liberty, he kind of got himself into like the wrong crowd and it wasn't good. And I remember my, my mom, we were talking about it not too long ago. She goes, I remember when he came home, um, one day after, I think there was, he was like, I think he was in a fraternity that was like not West Liberty approved. Mm -hmm. And I, my mom goes, I remember him calling and being like, I want out of here and this is how we're going to have to do it. Mm -hmm. And then he was like, I have a meet an officer was coming to the house, I think, like that Monday or Tuesday. And he was like, Mom, I'm coming home. We're going to sit with this officer and we're going to make a game plan. And he did. Like he brought the officer in and my mom and my dad sat there. My brother signed up to the Air Force. It was the best thing he ever could have done. Were my parents like pushing him in that department? Absolutely not. Everyone in our in our family, actually, are Air Force so but he at one point thought he was going to go army and my mom was like, absolutely not. No, no, you are not cut for the army. No. Um, let, let's yeah. make you an engineer instead. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, my, th- that's the route that he went, but that's what he needed. And I tell you what, I couldn't be more proud of him for flourishing that he did and he served for 26 years and I'm um, mm-hmm. very proud of him. And now he's tired, retired and um, you know, resides in Virginia. Another state for anyone listening, another state. Um, (laughs) Separate to West Virginia.
0: West Liberty uh, State College, now university, I think I went there myself and it, it, it can be challenging for people because it's like, you're so isolated up there. There's like one or two things off campus to do. So you just end up in a dorm room every night, like drinking your ass off. And, uh, and you can just kind of lose sight of things sometimes. Yeah,
8: I think that anywhere that you go, again, I, I was talking to a family not long ago about, you know, Broadway and going to New York and all that kind of stuff. I think it just depends on your support network. And my, my brother, Seth, he had a support network, mm-hmm. but I, I don't think that he always reached out. And I'm I'm thankful that he reached out when he knew like, oh, shit has hit the fan and like, I need to like get it together. And, you know, he was 21. And, you know, I'm so thankful that he did and he did a wonderful job and he did great and got all sorts of accolades through the years and and all those things. But um, I I, I think that no matter where you go, no matter where you live and then you decide to go somewhere else, it it takes thick skin, broad shoulders and a good, you know, good communication with the people or you you will you will sink no matter where you go. You could live in L.A. and then move to New York. That's a completely different, like completely different animal, you know, East Coast, West Coast, completely different. Middle America, completely different.
0: I always heard it referred to as the wheeling magnet, but it kind of applies to the Ohio Valley where people end up getting stuck there or they go and try and do something and they come back there and it comes down to support, right? Like it took me like I think three or four launches to finally get out of the valley. And it was because, you know, I didn't really have that kind of support at home that to where I I couldn't I couldn't necessarily call home and be like, hey, I'm in trouble. Can you send me, you know, 50, 100 bucks so I can make my rent or anything like that? And it made it almost impossible. So there I'd go back on the bus back to Wheeling for a few months. So even, you know, if you're trying to stay in the area and uh, do something in the area, I, I mean, a support network is The difference between success and failure a lot of times.
8: Massively. Yeah.
0: But uh, yeah, Ashley was a lot of fun to talk to. Uh, Very interesting because it was always kind of like, you know how there are cliques in high school. We were sort of in two different cliques, but they overlapped a little bit. So we never really had like really in-depth conversations in high school. So it was really cool to talk with her for an hour or so about her life and her perspective on the Valley. All right. Next up, uh, J is Jason Inman, uh, Jason Inman, if you might know him as the former host of DC all access for DC comics. Now he's a writer. Uh, he writes comic books and he works in TV writers rooms and stuff. And he's a really cool friendly dude. Uh, We had a lot of fun moments uh, throughout the episode, but my favorite moment was the birth of a new game that I've included several times since then because it's so much fun. It's called What If It Happened Here? Uh, Now, this game, uh, basically what the premise of the game is is I give them you know, some sort of story or IP or property, a movie, a TV show, a comic book, and ask them, what if it happened in your hometown? How would that change the story? It's really creative, really fun. And I also get to incorporate AI artwork into it, which is something I've been playing around with, uh, with Stable Diffusion. Uh, Because basically what happens is, you know, we're dealing with hypotheticals in this game. So when we deal with a hypothetical, I use the AI... uh, generator, Stable Diffusion, along with Photoshop and some collage skills to make actual B-roll for things that don't exist, (laughs) which is uh, kind of fun and kind of challenging and comes more into play in an episode coming up. But uh, why don't we go ahead and we'll go ahead and play uh, Jason Inman playing the first game of What If It Happened Here? So you're a big comic book fan. Uh, so you already know uh, Superman hailed from a small town in Kansas. We've talked about it. But most other superheroes come from urban environments. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in this game, I'm going to give you a superhero. Uh, and I want you to tell me how their origin would be different if their story was set in Stark, Kansas, and not New York or Gotham. or. OK. Batman.
2: All right. Interesting.
0: So first up, Batman. How would Batman be different if it was set in Stark, Kansas?
2: OK. Uh, it. If Batman was set in Stark, Kansas, his parents would die in a head-on collision with a deer. (laughs) They would not be shot. And I have a feeling he would be, he might still be Batman, but his costume would be Mm -hmm. that wooded camouflage that you see all the hunters wearing. (laughs) Um, And I kind of think he'd be a game warden. Because he would want to reduce the deer population.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Take advantage or take a revenge on yeah, that deer. Yeah, to
2: take revenge against too many deer. Yeah.
0: Okay, Wonder Woman.
2: Wonder Woman, if she grew up in Stark, Kansas, I'm just going to say that she's still an Amazonian. I really think she would make Stark, Kansas, the most advanced city on the earth. She would like make it a sort of, um, white Wakanda, as you know, like <laughs> or a redneck wat- Wakanda of, yeah, of sorts. Because yeah. I'm gonna guess that she's, you know, she's part god, so she's got that knowledge inside of her, and she's gonna just, it, she, she will completely revolutionize Kansas. That's what Wonder Woman would do.
0: Okay, uh, Spider-Man.
2: Well, we're I, I hate to say it, I think if Peter Parker grows up and starts Kansas, I think he just becomes a science teacher at the local high school, and that's it. <laughs> and that's the end because he will be bullied so more so than Flash Thompson Flash Thompson is a lightweight I'll just tell you that compared to some of the bullies I experienced
0: <laughs> plus you know uh, start Kansas is probably never going to finance a school trip to New York City for the nope. big like yeah. there's
2: also and, and if he gets bit by the spider somehow there's nothing to swing from so <laughs>
0: <laughs> the boys the boys <laughs> the boys <laughs> it's an extreme Uh,
2: (laughs) this is that's a tough one um because there's sort of a global you know okay well i'll flip it on this side if homelander of the boys the evil superman is raised in stark kansas there is no the boys because he becomes just like superman
0: very good point very good point
2: so there you go so the boys don't exist in stark kansas
0: I bet a lot of people in the boys' universe wish that was the case. Um, Okay, John Constantine.
2: (laughs) Okay, well, here's the truth. If John Constantine exists in Stark, Kansas, um, first off, he's not English. He's Mm going to be a Native American. Mm -hmm. uh, And he's probably going to be a Native American shaman of some type because there are all types of ghost stories. And in fact, a lot of it's going to be like sort of... um, Plant-based and uh, more rural ghosts. Uh, actually, I actually think John Constantine might be pretty interesting in Star Kansas.
0: I definitely agree, and you know he does have connections to swamp Thing, so it just makes mm-hmm. sense that he there would be other creatures of the green. There could be there know, could so. be
2: wheat thing, yeah.
0: Wheat thing, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> uh, sounds like a
2: drink you get from a smoothie place. Wheat thing. I'll take the of wheat thing, please.
0: Okay, and uh, last but not least, Fantastic Four.
2: Oh, interesting. Okay, so Ben Grimm would be fine because he's a football guy. Uh, Johnny would be fine because he's one of the bullies. So it, in the, if the Fantastic Four are in Stark, Kansas, then that means that Reed is going to supersonic of Combine of some type. <laughs> and then that's the accident. like Dr. Doom gets mangled in like a Combine accident, like a Thrasher accident. That's how he gets all mangled <laughs> up. And they will all have some sort of plant-based powers. Hmm. <laughs> So, like, they'll shoot, like, wheat stalks out of their hands and stuff like that. Like, like Ben Grimm will be, like, a walking wheat plant, like, walking around. Or, like, or it'll be, like, full of Milo, Milo and Fescue, if you know what that is. Well,
0: I, I like this, too, because it's irrespective of era. You could set it in the modern day. You could set mm-hmm. it 50 years ago. It mm-hmm. would be about the same story. Can
2: you tell that my hometown is surrounded by fields? I don't know if, you, if, if this is... If this Are you're, you putting together this connection?
0: I, I've been kind of subtle
2: about it. I don't know if you've caught it.
0: <laughs> you did not see the B-roll I used in your intro at the beginning of this show but lots of field. All right. Okay. Well, that's the game. And I think you won. Did I? I don't know what you won, but you absolutely did win. Okay. You can put that on your resume. Uh. Okay. I will. I'm going to say that I won
2: the uh, Start Kansas Citizen of the Year Award.
0: Excellent. Excellent. And I will back you up on that. You can give people sure. my number.
2: We're, you know, we're going to put it right here. There's going to be some articles. <laughs> Somebody put this on Wikipedia that Jason Evan won the Start Kansas Citizen of the Year Award. We're going to
0: make it a thing right now. And for the record, I have got several phone calls about Jason and I have backed him up every time. No, but it, it was a really great, fun conversation. And I, I will say, too, uh, Jason, if you're watching this, you out of all the guests I've had, you were probably one of the most supportive in terms of, you know, sharing the link to the episode, which I really appreciate every time. All right. Next up, though, is this guy was a huge get. Um, I was... Pleased as punch to be talking to him. Steven Tobolowski. He's a legend. Uh, You'd probably know him from Groundhog's Day or Heroes or Silicon Valley or a million other things he's, you know, excelled in and kicked ass in. Uh One of the interesting things about interviewing him was sometimes you have to, like, ask a bunch of follow up questions or keep them talking. Uh, Some interviews later, for example, kind of had to do that a little bit with Stephen Toblowski. You just put a quarter in and he'll go all day. Like, honestly, I think we recorded for two hours and change. He easily, if his his, uh, grandchild had been coming over, he could have gone for another hour easy. And in fact, I want to try and get him back on sometime uh, because the dude just has so many stories. (laughs) That's actually uh, because, you know, I've been thinking about how to have people back on. And I I think, uh, you know, the premise of the show is where I'm from. Right. But I think in a lot of ways, we kind of have to stretch that a little bit if we want to have people back on. So. Maybe a different place they've been from, like maybe Stephen Toblowski's from Hollywood, could be a good example. But uh, anyway, this clip from Stephen Toblowski's interview features him telling the the story of an early lesson he learned at a Dallas landmark. Daughtry's pharmacy well uh, I brought you here today to talk a little bit about Dallas Dallas is a huge city uh, with a lot of local businesses uh when we were going back and forth setting all this up you mentioned uh, one of those businesses that you really had fond memories of which was uh, I believe it's daughter 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 Doty uh, yeah drugstore. Doherty's Drugstore, yeah. And it has a ton of history in the area going back to 1929. I was digging in on research. I'm going to find out all about this. I was like, you know what? I have Stephen Toblowski on the show. Why don't I just ask him? He can probably give me a better idea.
7: Now, you should explain to the audience because you kind of led the people on to think that we actually had some substantive discussion about Doherty's Drugstore. This is the first time I'm hearing You know, this is all your research. This is everything you've dug up on this. This is fascinating. Oh, really? I mean, you mentioned, you know, you said what list, you know? And I said, well, Doherty's Drugstore. But the, that's the only thing we had was the name. You did
0: all the research. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, credit where credit's due. <laughs> exactly. I'm awesome, I guess. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Why don't you tell people a little bit about it beyond what I did on my yes. research? I mean, I have tax documents and stuff, but you have the emotional stuff, stuff. I have the emotional
7: documents. So I went, my elementary school I went to was Jeff Davis Elementary School. Yes, it was named after Mm -hmm. the president of the Confederacy. Jefferson Davis Elementary School. little awkward. Uh, (laughs) Kind of at Keystone Polk, uh, streets in Oak Cliff. And right across the street was Doherty's Drugstore, Ben Franklin's. They ended up putting a pizza in. It was the first time I ever heard of the word pizza. Hmm. But Doherty's Drugstore, we had a deal when we, I was there at, at, Jeff Davis from first to fourth grade. Mm. So we walked to school back then. Even even as a first grader, we walked the mile to school it, in the morning and walked home. It parents just let their kids do this. And I, I was going to say uphill both ways, but it's Texas, so that wouldn't be, <laughs> be a well crazy. flat both ways. It it had a major uphill and a downhill, a major uphill and oh, a okay. downhill. Either way you went. And so after school, from first grade on, I would cross the street sideways. Instead of going straight home, I would go over across the street to Doherty's Drugstore. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, they had this policy to where kids could just pick the comic books you know, off of the mm-hmm. display. And they had all of them, Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, mm-hmm. the works. And yeah. go to the back. Of Doherty's, they had a little sitting area where people waited to get their prescriptions, and sit down and read the comic books. And also, uh, maybe if you wanted to buy something, uh, Coke or something like that, you could buy a Coke and sit at the back of Doherty's drugstore.
0: So they would treat it kind of like a li- a comic book library where you could just. Grab an issue, go read it and put it back. Don't have to pay the 15 cents. Just buy something to drink while you're there. Or
7: 25 cents if it was the Batman super, you know, the the big (laughs) Batman thing was 25 cents back then. And I think the comic. The Mega Digest. I think the regular uh, comic books back then were were a dime. And I think the big Mm. super ones were like 25 cents is what we're talking about. And uh, so I went to Doherty's every day I could with all my friends. And then I had a moment in which Satan tapped my shoulder. And I, and I see that it, it, kids go through this kind of thing all the time. I thought, what if I stole something? Mm. I wonder what that would be like. And they had uh, lifesavers for like 20, 25 cents. And, and I thought, I could just put this roll of lifesavers in my pocket and walk out of here. And no one would know what I did. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, its I had the quarter. I had the quarter, but I wanted to see what it's like to steal something. So get that rush. I stole the lifesavers, walked out. And on the way, mile home, walking home, I immediately was attacked by conscience mm. and thought, what the hell did you do? What are you doing? And I thought. Uh- maybe when I pass the creek, I'll just throw the lifesavers into the water. Mm -hmm. I'll just throw them into the water and and just pretend like the whole thing never happened. Like not eat a lifesaver, just I didn't want to eat a a stolen Mm lifesaver. Then I went home and I was really shaken. And my mother noticed it. And she came to me and said, steppy doors, which is what she called me. Steppy doors, is there something wrong? And I told her, I said, Mom, I stole these lifesavers. And she looked at me just hard and very seriously. And she says, Sweetheart, you know that's wrong, don't you? Yes, ma'am. Well, you know what you have to do. No, ma'am. You have to go back to Doherty's drugstore and you have to take those lifesavers and give them back to the lady at the counter and tell her, You took these. It was wrong. You're sorry. And you'll never do it again. Mm-hmm. So I thought, okay, there's the solution. There's the solution to my problem. So I went back to Doherty's drugstore, And on the way, I passed the creek. I thought, throw them away. Just throw the lifesavers away. Don't talk to the lady at Doherty's Drug. Just throw the lifesavers away. It'll all go away. <laughs> and I came back and I went up to the lady and I put the lifesavers on the counter. And I said, excuse me, I just took these lifesavers earlier this afternoon from here and I took them without paying it, and I want to return them, and I'm very sorry. And I was expecting absolution. Instead, what happened was the woman looked at me, took the lifesavers and said, you are banned forever from coming into this store. I never want to see your face here again. Leave now, never come back. And that was the end of me and Doherty's Drugstore. And I learned about consequences. Mm -hmm. I learned uh, primarily at the very tender age, what, I was 10, about 10, about regret. And regret is something (laughs) that sticks with you your entire life. I still have an ache in my soul over those damn lifesavers. (laughs) And I've never stolen anything again because of Mm -hmm. it. But it was a very hard lesson. And it was the end of my days of reading Superman and Batman for free.
0: I guess you're probably lucky that they weren't there either. They would have busted you before you even got (laughs) out the door. (laughs)
5: Right.
0: right. (laughs) And uh, that was Stephen Toblowski. Great, great conversation with him. I have been notified by someone out there uh, watching the live stream that the comments aren't working for some reason. It looks like I have it all set up, but uh, if you're trying to leave a comment, maybe tweet me at Bill Meeks over on Twitter and I'll see that pop up on my phone While as we're going. It's weird though, because it's letting me comment. Anyway, enough about that. The recorded people don't care. Uh, have you been enjoying the free samples? Uh, I've been enjoying giving you the free samples. Uh, here's, a, here's a free sample for you, some crackers. Uh, but you know, these are actually, these crackers smell really, really good. I would love to eat one, but I can't do that while I'm talking to you. So, why don't we play a quick ad uh, from our sponsor, Stream Studio, and we'll be right back with more. Where I'm from is brought to you by Stream Studio. That's S T R E A N N Studio, the web app that puts you in charge of the live show. Stream Studio allows you to take your streaming game to the next level by allowing you to stream to multiple platforms at once. If you want to go to Twitch, if you want to go to YouTube, you can stream to all of those platforms at once, get feedback from your audience, and most importantly, it puts you in control of the show. Now, Stream Studio has several packages that work for just about any type of broadcaster. From the free plan where you can stream with a watermark, all the way up to the goal plan where you can have up to eight guests. You can stream to as many social platforms as you want. You can get a web link to share your show with external audiences, and you can even get an iframe so you can embed your live stream show directly into your website. Hey, I love Stream Studio so much I'm using it to produce this show. I want to thank Stream Studio for supporting where I'm from and you can give this fantastic software a spin and support where I'm from at the same time. Just head over to our website at billmeeks.com slash where I'm from and click on the Stream Studio banner so they know we sent you their way. I'm sorry, I'm eating a free sample. Um, these are really good crackers though, they were free. Uh, thanks again Screen Studio for sponsoring uh, this episode and every episode of Where I'm From. You should never eat on camera, Bill. You should never eat on camera. Okay, uh, next up, uh, this was probably the most experimental episode we did all season. I interviewed a fictional character about where they're from. Kelly Rands from the Humor Mill Orlando, remember I mentioned him earlier, joined me as Santa for my first improvised episode. Gosh, we had a lot of fun. I we so much fun like uh, it was interesting, though, because I told him, why don't we use the Rankin Bass, uh, the Life and Times of Santa Claus as our sort of like source material for you to answer the questions to. And in a lot of ways, we ended up throwing a lot of that out because he had so many fun bits about central Florida where Kelly lives and everything that uh, I thought it was simple. It was better to keep it simpler, uh, which we did, hopefully. Uh, Now, this clip is from another one of the games we play all the time, Wheel of Anecdotes. Uh, Basically, what this game is, is I throw out a word or phrase, and they have to give me back a a little story, a little mini story about that word or phrase. Uh, So since Sano isn't real, uh, much like I did with the Jason Inman clip I played earlier, I relied a lot on AI artwork and uh, stable diffusion to make the B-roll for this game, because he was talking about like, this thing happened and this thing happened, but that thing didn't actually happen. So I made it happen using uh, the power of AI. Uh, So I also think there's a lot of controversy about AI artwork. I thought it was a really great tool to help, yes, and the improv between me and Kelly throughout the episode. But maybe you feel differently. I don't know. Why don't we play the clip and find out? We're going to let you go in just a second, but I do have one more game for you. And this game is called Wheel Wheel of of Anecdotes. Anecdotes. Now, I'm going to give you a suggestion and your challenge is to respond with a short anecdote from the North Pole, the shorter, the better. Now, Santa, do you think you can handle it?
3: I'll try my best. Ooh. Okay, first up, Rudolph. VIP, VIP, if you want to get into a bar, He's your guy. <laughs> Talk about VIPs. That nose gives him away every time. <laughs> Wait, what's
0: the wild, wildest night out you ever had with Rudolph? Oh, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas.
3: <laughs>
0: fair enough. Fair enough. Oh, sorry. Sorry. I just tapped the side of my nose twice. That's not offensive to you, is it? I know that's no. kind of your thing. No, 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 no.
3: It's, it's fine. It's Because
0: because you don't have the power. You
3: see, if I do fair it. enough. That it's fine. If you do it, you've just got an itchy nose. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, next up,
0: Santa, sleigh.
3: Uh, b- broken. Our, our sleighs are constantly broken. They're, they're, really? It's the highest single thing. We only use them one night a year, except for those special trips that I mentioned. And they mm-hmm. are consistently broken. I get, I get ridiculously wow. long invoices for broken sleds. I wonder what we do with our sleighs, but uh, perhaps they're being joy-ridden or something like that. I don't know, but it's, wow. it's 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 one of the highest expenses we deal with. So it's expensive and broken, I no might, might say.
0: <laughs> Santa, Santa Pro Tip, I have heard that Ford has a new uh, extended drivetrain warranty on their sleighs. You might want to look into that next time you need Ooh, to replace it. Yes, oh, I'll
3: check that. Although uh, vehicles are very expensive right now. It's it's a, Absolutely. And there's, even Santa hates going to the car dealership.
0: Ugh. Yeah, Ugh. in in some ways, sometimes buying a used sleigh is more expensive than buying a brand new one. It's yes, because you've got to rework it again, and they're probably mm-hmm. you know that you don't
3: know the people that you bought it from. <laughs> I bought yeah. one from the 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 uh, the Arendale uh, people once, and it was all broken. And it just mm. I just let it go. I couldn't take <laughs> it anymore. <laughs> nice. Okay, Santa,
0: immortality,
3: immortality, uh, lengthy. I will have to say that (laughs) is the one uh, sort of crazy thing about my life is that I can't die, so I can't die. So Mm -hmm. I'm here. I'm always here. Even if I accidentally do something, I'm still here. So lengthy might be. It's it's a a long life, a good life, but a long life that will never end. (laughs)
0: Have you ever gone through like an existential crisis with that where you were like trying to see if you could end it or... Oh no
3: no no! I definitely haven't. Uh, I haven't done a Groundhog Day type of thing at all. That uh, that would that I, would
0: be pretty dark for Christmas. So I'm glad yes, you said I, no. I understand. I
3: understand it, but I don't think I could get myself there. <laughs> no. All right, two more here. Disney World. Oh, Disney World is the second magis- most magical place on Earth. The, uh, some might say the third if you go to Disneyland, but uh, uh, that's obviously we know my home is the most magical place on Earth, of course it is. Uh, but, you know, Disney's world and land are both very good. They're very fun. Uh, what, what's your favorite
0: ride, Santa?
3: Ooh! Oh, I'm partial to the mountains. I love mm. space mountain, and and I got to ride the new uh, the new one that they just opened, or they're going to be opening soon uh, with the the the. the trains on the tracks, and there's the other trains on the other tracks. It's based on a movie, uh, something like Ron. Uh, Ron or Mon uh, or... Tron, uh, Tron. Tron, yes, Tron. Yeah. <laughs> Very fun. <laughs> good ride. I didn't understand any of it, but it was a good ride.
0: <laughs> I guess it's been a few years since you've had to hand out Tron toys, so I, I understand why you don't remember It's
3: like all of the children not asking for, uh, for stuff for uh, the way of water like for some reason <laughs> we expected that maybe to be a big deal disney keep telling us it was a big deal but we mm-hmm. just couldn't make any toys for it we figured it was just not worth it <laughs> I, I don't think
0: you're alone in that santa a lot of people keep thinking this is going to be a big deal and is it probably it is. not. we'll <laughs> see i guess we'll find out <laughs> all right and
3: last but not least mrs claus oh sexy <laughs> <laughs> she is a fiery redhead, remember? I've known her for 800 years. Uh, she also is German-Polish descent, too. But, uh, mm. yeah, no, I have a thing for redheads. I, of course, originally was a redhead myself. And she will always be my love. And, uh, you know, Santa loves, uh, you know, loves loves
0: his lady. Always loves his woman <laughs> You know, some have said, Santa, that keeping her kind of penned up in the North Pole, except when you go on your vacations and stuff... It's a little, like, old-fashioned <laughs> and sexist. How would you respond to that? Well, you know, and she she
3: chooses to. She likes to be there by herself. Um, she's a homebody. Yes, yes. She's, she's actually very comfortable living there and very happy with it. So I, I would be more than happy to find opportunities for her to leave. But she really does love the North Pole. Uh, she does very good with the elves, better than I do. So mm. that's one thing that... Uh, that, that she just has a knack for dealing with little men. <laughs> <Yeah>. Yes. <Yep. laughs>
0: well, well, I've heard that you don't have like a lower register and you're hearing, maybe it's easier for her to hear their voices. Oh, that, that could yeah. be,
3: maybe. Yeah, that would probably make sense a little bit, but uh, you know, I try, I try the best I can for an authoritarian toy maker, but uh, <laughs> one can only do so much, right? <laughs> Wheel, Wheel of, of Anecdotes. anecdotes.
0: I just wanted to mention a couple of fe- pieces of feedback on the Santa episode. Uh, Wyoming country boy, uh, and this is in regards to me using AI artwork to generate B-roll for the Santa episode. Loved your work for some time, Bill, but be careful. You might make enemies in the anti-AI community who will brigade you, brigade you and spread lies for daring to use AI art. I keep an eye on the comment section of your videos. Just a heads up. Now, I haven't got any negative pushback really on it, but it's really... You know, it's a tool just like any other Uh painters and photographers were kind of eh, when Photoshop came out, too. But it's just like, in my opinion, it's a natural evolution of technology. And as a creator, it's given me all sorts of ideas for ways I can, you know, cut out the middleman and create my own artwork for my different projects. So I let's continue the conversation though. Shoot me an email at bill at billmeeks.com. If you have any AI artwork, uh, piccadillos and then ghost cyclones said, uh, from the Santa episode, the guy with the thick red glasses and creeper beard looks like he'll lecture about how words are violence. I'm not sure if that's an insult or compliment either way. Uh, thank you very much. Ghost cyclones. And then last but not least, Trevor said, uh, awesome work. Good to see SD Stable Diffusion getting some love in your workflow. Uh thanks Trevor. I'm really enjoying playing around with it. I just set up a whole new Bill Meek's model uh, so I can generate pictures of myself yesterday. It's a lot of fun. And I I kind of want to bring Kelly back on uh throughout the year to play other fictional characters, maybe Cupid, maybe uh a leprechaun for St. Patrick's Day, stuff like that. I thought it, I thought that would be fun, but we'll see we'll see what happens. Um, okay, so it, America's next top podcaster brought me the pilot that became this show where I'm from, right But another thing it brought me was a portfolio of really targeted short podcasting samples. Uh, you know we did all sorts of uh, me in September and everyone else I worked with uh, throughout the competition did a comedy podcasts, news podcasts, sort of short form documentary podcast, all these different game shows it, which gave me a lot of really great samples to put together a focused portfolio of podcast. That portfolio helped me land a job. I have a well it's not full-time job, but it's a all the time job uh, editing a podcast called the Frontier podcast from a tech startup ca- called gun.io, which, I really like because they're more of a curated version of like, if you remember Elance back in the day where I I kind of built my career, Uh, but it was kind of shady at the same time. Gun.io is more curated and it's for professionals, uh, professional coders and web developers, things like that. Uh, So I decided, you know, about midway through the season, why don't I bring on my boss from Gun.io? Because it would be fun just to, normally we talk for five minutes 10 minutes here or there about the podcast itself. It would be nice to kind of get to know this person I'm working for who lives in Nashville. Uh, So I asked Faith Benson to come onto the show and uh, talk about growing up in upstate New York. Uh, Now she mentioned that there was sort of a true crime angle to the area where she was from. I knew I had to dig in on that because true crime is big, right? Everybody loves true crime. podcasting has been overtaken by true crime and apparently there was a juicy unresolved murder at a local ski resort uh where you're from Uh, so why don't you tell people a little bit about that trying to get those numbers
9: oh yeah uh well people are always searching for like ski wing murder new news and there never is but (laughs) yeah so this is in the 70s there's a ski resort there was a ski resort actually right next to my grandparents house Mm -hmm. and by resort i mean like I don't know how many runs there were, maybe 10 runs. Um, people who actually were alive then and skied this hill are going to come for me for being incorrect with all this data, <laughs> but it was small.
0: I don't think true cut crime fans are necessarily focused on the facts. They're focused <laughs> on like the, the sexiness of the crime. You
9: know? Yeah, I don't think they're worried about how many ski runs there are. I'm from the ski <laughs> family, though, so my family is going to be like, what do you mean you got that wrong? Anyway. <laughs> Yeah. So in the 70s, there was a double homicide at the ski resort. So there were two groomers who were there grooming um, and they were robbed. And it seems like the robbery went wrong. Mm-hmm. Those two folks were killed. Uh, and it, it's never been solved. They, the whoever committed the murder, stole a safe.
0: That's a hard thing to steal. <laughs>
9: Yeah, it was, like, in the ground. Like, they had to, like, drill it out of the ground. Mm-hmm. So they stole that. And from what I remember, there was not a whole lot of money inside. And then that safe was found actually by my childhood home. There's, uh, like, an abandoned bridge. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was found kind of, like, tossed off that bridge. I think it was, like, shortly after the crime that they found it.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha.
9: And I think there's been like varying degrees of interest and activity with this um, investigation over the last, what, 50 years? Holy smokes. Um, But generally, I think it's pretty cold. I think I think folks think they know who it was. And it's such a small town that it's like, well, it's probably somebody we know. And I I don't know, just kind of lost team, I guess.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I guess, uh, you know, if it happened in the 70s at this point, if even if they figure out who actually did it, they're probably not there to prosecute at this point.
9: Right. Or if they are, you know, it's like a family. I think everybody kind of thinks it was a family, like an organized crime family. Oh, OK.
0: Got, it was a hit.
9: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's like something that kind of comes up every couple of years in my hometown and people remember (laughs) and they're like, oh, my gosh, we got to figure this out and nothing happens.
0: (laughs) Is there any sort of like uh, tourism related to it? Like or do people like stop into town to like investigate or see see the landmarks or anything?
9: Mm, No, when I was a kid, the thing was, you know, when you first got your license and you're just trying to like wreak havoc during witching hour, you drive up (laughs) to ski wing and park your car because the uh, the rumor was that it was haunted. Mm. So, this happened. And then I think before this happened, there was an accident on the ski lift where a little boy was killed. Ooh. Yeah. So, the the thing was, you know, you go to ski wing to see ghosts. Or mm-hmm. if you're really badass, you go to ski wing and sk- carry your skis up the hill uh, <laughs> and ski down the super messy terrain. So. <laughs> Yeah, not open to the public unless you're an 18 year old with little regard for the law.
0: <laughs> it's come up a couple times uh, skiing. Do you have a passion for skiing uh, that you kind of took advantage of while you lived there?
9: I have a passion for um, drinking bourbon and beer in the lodge <laughs> after I do a couple runs. I'm not a competitive skier. My mom is a ski racer, my sister is a really great skier. Um, cousins aunts uncles are all good skiers I have never fallen I'm a very cautious skier (laughs) Uh, I don't do it nearly as often as I probably should but every time I go home we do go there's a a town called Ellicottville which is like 10 minutes from where I grew up Mm
0: -hmm. and
9: they've got two different real resorts not like ski wing (laughs) (laughs) resorts Uh, so we do that quite often
0: so you said you've never been injured. Have you ever? Have you ever done anything competitively? Have, like have you ever raced on skis or anything like that?
9: Bill, this might come to a surprise to you because we work together, and you know, like at work, I'm pretty competitive. But um, <laughs> in anything that has to do with like physical fitness, I. Whatever the opposite of competitive is, that's what I am. Like, I would, I would like, stop swimming during swim meets and, like, cheer for the other people. Like, go ahead, you got this.
0: Easily um, distracted.
9: Yeah, and also just, like, not interested in trying. Um, mm-hmm. So that's probably a personality flaw of it.
0: I don't ski. I've never skied, I've snowboarded a couple of times and I hurt myself every time, so I don't do that. But a lot of fun conversation there with Faith. Check out that episode, it's a a fun one. Uh, Now this next episode, uh, it was kind of unusual. Um, The season finale uh, was a solo stream where I memorialized my lifelong friend and creative collaborator, Stephen Carroll. It was cathartic and well-received, uh, so I expect uh, that I'll probably be doing more of these for some other friends I've lost along the way in season two. I actually already I've started. If you're listening and you knew Brett Kane, I've been compiling clips to do a Brett centric episode, who was also a very dear friend of mine. Uh, but this clip uh, from the the Steve episode, tells the tale of how a failed collaboration between me and Steve ended up being the theme song to my first successful original podcast. I don't know if you've ever heard of Greetings from Storybrooke, but uh, you're about to hear the origin of this Greetings from Storybrooke origin story. Like I said, uh, me and Steve over the years, we we didn't quite connect on classic tragic hero at that point, although we were always trying to. But I kind of, went off and became a freelance video producer where I would make uh, advertisements and uh, explainer videos, all sorts of stuff like that for various internet startups. One of them, I was lucky enough to find an opportunity to bring Steve on for. Uh, There's a podcast out there that's still going on called Sword and Laser with Tom Merritt and Veronica Belmont. And uh, back in, I think, 2005, or no, uh, 2010, something like 2008, somewhere in the late 2000s, or yeah, the late aughts, uh, they got picked up as a video YouTube show on Felicia Day's YouTube channel, Geek and Sundry. So I knew Tom from various uh, things, like I was a big uh, constantly in the chat room over on This Week in TETNet tech network where he worked. And so he reached out to me to see if I wanted to do the animation for him. He didn't explain necessarily that they already had a theme song they were a thousand percent happy with and wanted to use for the TV show. So I reached out to Steve about putting together a theme song for the show. I asked him if he wanted to, uh, I thought it would be a fun idea to base the music off of a 80s show called CBS Story Brick, which was an anthology show that would do uh, adaptations of various, Uh, junior high school kid novels, like How to Eat Fried Worms is one that pops into mind. But I always love like this big, epic opening they had. So I was like, you know, that would be good for Sword and Laser too. So here for the first time, I'm going to play you what ended up becoming the intro for the show with the original music I had. I commissioned Steve to write it for you might find this a little familiar. We'll see.
4: everyone welcome to the sword and laser show i'm veronica belmont
0: and i'm tom Merritt. and uh if you followed any of my work at all you probably recognized that song that was being played as the theme song to greetings from storybrook a once upon a time podcast that i did with uh, my wife Anne marie de simone for a number of years um i so uh bleh, 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 bleh. This is all going to stay in. Uh. (laughs) Uh, So we started off Greetings from Storybrooke. And uh, Steve's theme opened and closed over 200 episodes downloaded by tens of thousands of listeners uh, over the course of the years where we're doing Greetings from Storybrooke. It was a fan cast focused on the ABC TV show Once Upon a Time set in a a town called Storybrooke. So, I thought um, Steve's take on the CBS story break inspired theme fit the bill. <clears throat> Plus, Steve had already made it, and I felt bad I couldn't use it in a more high profile project. Uh, the theme song worked great, though, and it often got compliments from listeners. I probably should have forwarded more of those compliments on to Steve, uh, but I, th- I think he knows how appreciated it was. Oh. Greetings from Storybrooke. I'm Bill Meeks. And I'm Anne-Marie D. Simone. And Anne-Marie, we are here for a very special episode today.
4: We're going to have a very special episode. A very special with episode. We have some serious topics to talk about tonight.
0: Yes, I... I oh, wait a second. Where'd Anne-Marie go? It, it's the masked woman with the fairy wand. I don't know. <laughs> uh, there no. are too many props sitting here. I can't <laughs> resist. <laughs> Sad Steve... Steve passed away, but uh, it makes me smile every time I see the greetings from Storybrooke stuff, because that was such a fundamental time in my life. Maybe one day I'll do an episode. Bill Meeks is from greetings from Storybrooke. But at the bare minimum, again, I'm going to be doing an episode sometime this season on Brett Kane and Ryan Horde. So if you're from where I'm from and you remember Brett or Ryan, go ahead and shoot me some memories. Bill at BillMeeks.com. Uh, Deborah Kerr, in response to the Steve episode, wrote, condolences on the loss of your wonderful friend and creative partner. I really enjoyed learning more about Stephen and his contributions to your work. Uh, Thanks very much. And and she was involved in uh, several projects that Steve was also involved with. So it was probably kind of cool for her to see behind the scenes. All right. So next up is uh, another childhood hero of mine, Paul Zaloom, who you might know better as Beekman from Beekman's world. I now I love Beekman uh growing up. So this episode was a thrill, uh but it was a little weird too because we had some tech issues up front getting set up and everything. Like he was emailing me and on my phone the email he was using only checks every half an hour, 40 minutes or something like that. So I wasn't getting his messages that he was having problems connecting and I was I was actually pacing around here in the office like, oh, man, it's only the second episode and the guest is already backing out on me. We eventually got it sorted out, but it made things tense at the beginning of the episode. Uh, And I was a little worried that it was going to go south and be like an interview I did with Billy West a number of years ago for a site called Bleeding Cool. But luckily... Things kind of smoothed out over the course of it. And we had a really great conversation. Uh, But as a fan of Beekman growing up, I try and keep this focused on the area where they're from. But sometimes the fanboy comes out and I had to dig into the details of producing a national kids show. Um, And I also uh, I've learned something that I wish I had known when I was a kid.
10: Because kids, kids don't make a big differentiation between the person on the screen and the person in the room. Mm-hmm. it's not like they're looking at some celebrity or whatever. They're looking at somebody like their uncle in the room. Yeah. I mean, I used to pick letters out of the bin. We had a bin on the stage that went around and around in the, in the part of the show and a hand would go in and pull a letter out. Um, mm-hmm. I was just go in and pull letters out. And if they had return addresses, I'd, you know, I'd call information, get the kid's phone number, call them up from the set just as a goof. And I remember calling one kid who lived in Chinatown on Mott Street or Mulberry Street in Manhattan, (laughs) which is near where I lived. I lived near Canal Street in Tribeca. Mm -hmm. And I called the kid and he said, hey, you know, thanks for calling, but like I'm in the middle of something. You know, I go, that's the end of the phone conversation.
0: Basement got big times. Yeah, (laughs) it was great.
10: I loved that. I thought that was really cool.
0: That pisses me off just a little bit because I never wrote into you. Cause I was like, Oh, there's no way they actually read the letters. Like this is just like, so you can get a sticker or something. I'm never going to write in here to find out. You could just walk around the set one day and pick up, you could have picked up Billy Meeks's letter. Right. Missed opportunity, missed opportunity for me anyway.
10: They did respond to all the letters. Um, mm-hmm. I think they responded with postcards and, and supposedly we got 1500 a week at, at our high point. I mean, I don't know how much the letters really inspired what we did on the show because I think the writers had to say, okay, here are all the issues we need to cover or we want to cover. We could figure out a way to cover because the writers were all very interested in science Mm -hmm. and then find a letter that matched that. Uh, Because in the beginning, the letters were fake because we didn't have anybody writing in because the show wasn't on the air. But after a short while, they they were real um, kids writing in and, you know, we read the real kids letters on the air.
0: And it was a really great conversation with Paul once we got over that hump of like technical problems, th- throwing a, a thing on the vibe, man, there was a thing on the vibe, but we got through it. We got through it. And it, it was a really fun conversation. Uh, Next up, I'm going to play a clip from my friend, Brian Brushwood, who came on the show. We're actually, this is another one, where we're from the same town. I was born and raised until I was about eight or nine years old in a small town called Katy, Texas, where Brian also grew up. We didn't know each other. But anytime I talk to Brian, Katy, Texas, as a common hometown, always comes up. It's that in the Indonesia trip. If I'm talking to Brian, those two things are gonna come up. Uh, But sometimes on where I'm from, the conversations, well, they're usually bright and light, but sometimes they can get a little philosophical. Like this exchange between uh, Brian, who's a magician, and myself about the self-proclaimed city of churches where we grew up in Katy, Texas. When I think about Katy, it's very much for me connected to church. And Katie also used to be known as the city of churches. And it, when I lived there, it felt like everyone went to church, partially because uh, some of the only socialization I got was at church. But I was wondering
5: uh, if you went to church and uh, if if not, did it hurt you socially? Oh, no, I, I, I definitely did. I went to a United Methodist, um, uh, the one close to Williamsburg settlement. And it was a, a foundational part of my early high school life. You know, it was Mm -hmm. that, that good social opportunity to bond. It's interesting because like, I'm thankful for that experience. Mm -hmm. Um, although I myself have matured into what I like to think of as hardcore agnosticism, um, but radical I, I, agnostic. Yeah. Uh, radical agnostic. That's a great <laughs> phrase. Okay. That's what I'm going to do. It was a wonderful experience. And it confused me when I started having kids my own, where it's like, I think about where I am in my, my personal interest in various faiths. And mm-hmm. I think about how much value I got out of it. And I didn't know whether or not to push or allow the opportunity for my kids or whatever. Um, yeah. and so, uh, we kind of have a spread where, where some of the kids were involved in youth programs, uh, and mm-hmm. others were not, I don't know what the right answer there is.
0: Yeah. Uh, my rule was always going to be, we won't expose them to church at all until they can do algebra. Cause that's like the right combination of concrete and like abstract thinking to maybe handle religion. And by the time we got to that point, uh, None of them were very much interested. In well, it, well, and,
5: so. and, and that's the problem, right? Is if what you want is to have them plugged into a, you know, uh, traditional values, although religiously mm-hmm. themed uh, way to interact with locals. And again, yeah. you know, Katie was was pretty much like, you know, everybody went to churches, as, as you mentioned. The city uh, of churches. Yeah. Yeah. So so I, I I don't know that there's a right or wrong answer in that because it's like, the kids that went to youth programs, I was not sending them there to indoctrinate them or to have them, you know, adopt certain values. I was sending them there so they could have an opportunity to socialize and to. Yeah, for community. Yeah, exactly.
0: That's actually uh, one thing I kind of feel like I, I've i kind of uh, missed with my kids on is that lack of community because, I mean, they have friends from school. They go out and do things with them, but there's not like some place we go every week or a couple times a week where
5: we see the same big group of people or anything. When one of our kids was an infant, uh, Bonnie pointed out that she had read that, look, your job as a parent is to not to make them eat their vegetables your job mm-hmm. because their bodies will get hungry for certain vegetables if they are deficient in certain nutrients or minerals or what have you. That's part yeah. of the reason that we have weird cravings for particular foods at times. So mm-hmm. your obligation as a parent is simply to set the opportunity in front of them. And if, if they feel like there's something in there, they need, then yeah. they can uh, take from it.
0: Yeah. I, I think the thing is, is like we. And I grew up in a Baptist church, so this was probably a bit more apparent there, but they tend to like really hyper focus on the kids because they're so like malleable and you can like convince them of certain truths that you believe in before they have a chance to critically think about it.
5: And I, well, it, it, and again, I, I don't want to make it a bag on thing, but but it, it sounds like the fact that you were homeschooled, were you homeschooled for religious re- reasons? hundred percent. Absolutely. When I was
0: in first grade, they were going to start doing like basic, like sex ed, human anatomy stuff in second grade. And my mom was like, okay, we're pulling them out and, you know, we're doing the religious thing, a backup
5: books and all that. Yeah. In in that regard, I guess I, I, Air quotes, lucked out. I, I don't know who's lucky and who's not, but um, I, I remember my friend Justin saying that, uh, yeah, Methodists are a six pack away from atheists. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Absolutely, because my grandma Meeks was was a Methodist actually, and uh, she didn't really care at all. And like, I would go up to what Wadsworth, Ohio, and spend a week with her every summer, and about, about halfway through the week, she would start dogging on how kind of militant. <laughs> Baptist, my parents were and like, you know, you need to let people live and you need to watch films that have cursing in them and things like that. You need to grow, which is why I always love visiting my grandma meek so much. <laughs> 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 and I did love visiting my grandma meek so much. Actually, another little anecdote from visiting her in Wadsworth, Ohio. I really got exposed to Silver Age Superman comics while visiting her, because while we were there, she let us get a library card at her library. And I got something. It's a book I have the new edition of now, but it's called The Superman Encyclopedia, which has an encyclopedia entry for every character, place, uh, major storyline, et cetera, et cetera, from the Silver Age Superman comics. Really great resource. Really fun just to sit there and flip through and then you can go to you know dc all access or whatever and look up the issue and read it if you want to uh but uh, yeah great conversation with brian we touched on religion a little bit which i try not to do in public too much but i thought it turned out really well um last but not least um i have here this uh person has been one of my greatest friends creative collaborators podcasting collaborators for the past almost 10 years now. Rebecca Johnson, host of Supergirl Radio. Uh, Now, Rebecca moved back to her hometown, Birmingham, a few years ago. So she has at least one or two perspectives on everything with an accompanying anecdote uh, throughout the episode. Like in this clip about the classic, historical Alabama theater. You mentioned that you really like the Alabama Theater. I was look, doing some research on it. Looks like it was built in 1927 by Paramount Studios. It's still in operation today as a movie theater and entertainment venue. Correct, yes. Well, since you told me you wanted to talk about it, let's talk. Why Why don't we start here? Uh, tell me about the first time you went there.
11: Uh, the first time I remember being there, which may not be the first time I went there, but I was probably a sophomore in high school I remember that my friend Cheryl had called me up saying, Hey, would you want to go down to the Alabama Theater and watch Gone with the Wind with uh her then boyfriend Matt and her. <laughs> And I was so young that I didn't realize what I had been roped into. This was basically just a way so that their, uh, the parents didn't think anything was going on uh, uh, with the two of them. I was kind of the shield, and I didn't realize I was being used at the time. But I was like, sure, I'll go down and see a movie. That-. I take that back. That might have been eighth grade. It might have been middle school. Now I've I totally
0: been it. in that position. Uh, get, I get invited to my... Uh, sister's boyfriend's house to play video games. And Mm -hmm. it turns out it's really just so they can see each other. And I'm the chaperone, but not really.
11: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I, I was extremely used that day but that was the first time I saw Gone with the Wind. And it was the full deal with the intermission and everything. And we sat up in the balcony because, of course, mm-hmm. with uh, with uh, Cheryl and her boyfriend. I will not name names. <laughs> but uh, I probably should have changed her name to protect the innocent. Uh, but it's already happened. Cheryl's been called out. But uh, we sat up in the balcony. And I, it's just such a beautiful place inside. They did a lot of renovation to it. Mm-hmm. And um, it's just I, I think it's like a a, a wonderfully uh preserved place inside and I, I have a i have a soft spot for old movie theaters i i just yeah. love them i wish i could go to more of them i would make a documentary about them i love them the grandeur
0: um, and the velvet curtains uh, and yeah
11: yeah that know, jim carrey fun. movie called the majestic like, i was like oh my gosh this is the greatest thing
0: that is an unsung classic yes. like minus the 30 seconds where jim Carrey's crying and he looks like the mask like <laughs> i mean it's a perfect movie <laughs>
11: if i could have like uh, people people sometimes ask me what's your dream job and I'll, I'll be like well i wish i was tina Fey, or i could be a head writer on a soap opera that's all a lie <laughs> i wish that i could own and operate an old movie theater that would be actually the dream um mm-hmm. because that that would be so fun but But I remember having – a, despite being used by my friends, um, (laughs) I had a really good experience there. And I enjoyed – it was a different thing. It wasn't just going to, you know, the regular movie theater. It was some different place, and it had a different feel to it. It made you feel like you were – in the past. And so that was my first experience. And they do a lot of uh, summer movies like that. So that would have been a summer movie gone with the wind, which is four hours long. So it's a time yeah, commitment. It came but,
0: on like four VHS tapes back in the day. It's yeah. a monster.
11: It's a crazy long movie, but um, the summer movies, they'll do movies in the summer and then they do movies during Christmas. So I I like especially try to go to the ones during Christmas. Uh, I saw Christmas Vacation there last year. Um, And so that's a, a really fun time. They decorate the theater and, you know, Christmas decorations. And I also recently saw a concert there. So they do concerts. They do plays. I saw a play when I was in high school there. I, I should add there is a uh, an organ there. Ooh. There is a pipe organ at the Alabama Theater. It, I think I looked it up. It's a Wurlitzer Opus 1783. So it's a pipe oh, wow. organ that comes out of the floor and it pops mm-hmm. up. And so they use it to do sing-alongs during Christmas time for Christmas carols. And uh, I'm in, in a couple of days, I'm actually going to go see the Phantom of the Opera silent film there uh, at the Alabama Theater. And so I imagine the pipe organ may be used for that as well to to fill in the music for that. I've never seen a silent film in the proper silent film uh, format. So I'm excited to see that. So they they do so many really unique and fun things that you wouldn't be able to um, to get there. So I I really I really love the Alabama theater so much.
0: And uh probably uh, partially it's set up to do all that stuff because uh, like I said in my research Paramount funded it back in the day. So <laughs> back, you know, uh before the talkies and stuff, the way they would distribute films is they would send out a film canister and they'd send out sheet music and hmm. you'd always have a live performer sitting there performing the ding 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 ding. Charlie yeah. Chaplin was chasing yeah, yeah, a horse yeah. down the road. Yeah. <laughs>
11: Well, they've had to do a lot of fundraising and they have people who are very in Birmingham. They have a lot of people who are very passionate about the Alabama theater. And um, Mm -hmm. I was I was a member of the Alabama theater. um, So I I think that there are a lot of people who don't want it to die. It's a landmark in Birmingham. And so uh, everybody really wants to make sure it's taken care of so it can keep going.
0: Being being a young artist in uh, Birmingham, did you ever have an opportunity to actually perform there? Like, because I, I know you've done music and stuff.
11: Yeah, I was in the band, so I played bassoon and clarinet, but we never performed there. Mm. I have some friends who have performed there. Uh, the only time I ever did anything artsy was that I uh, <laughs> I shot and edited a video for a friend of mine who wanted to propose to his girlfriend in a very special way. So his plan Ooh. was that he was going to make this music video of, with a song that he wrote and performed. And then I was going to help him make this video, this music video to be played at the Alabama theater. So I actually had something screened at the Alabama theater. I may not have played <laughs> my bassoon there.
6: Have I told you you amazing I can't wait to see you again.
0: Have I told you how beautiful you are? And how long I've been waiting for you long to
11: begin. So, so he played the video over the screen there. And then after it was over, he proposed to his girlfriends, so all of his friends and family were there. And so it was kind of a, a cool thing. So I actually yeah. had a video of mine that I shot and edited screened at the Alabama Theater and there was an audience there to watch it. So that's actually uh, pretty cool.
0: I could seriously talk to Rebecca Johnson for about 17 hours and uh, still have plenty left to talk about. Thanks so much to Rebecca, Brian, Kelly and all the other guests I've had on season one of of where I'm from. It's been a great experience. I've been really enjoying getting back into weekly or semi-weekly podcasting. And I'm really excited about all the new things I'm planning for season two, uh, which starts in the new year. Uh, Plenty of fun, new, innovative interviews coming your way. And I'm probably going to be playing a bit more with the AI stuff, too, because that's a lot of fun. But if you like the show, uh, please consider going to Apple Podcasts or wherever you get a podcast and leaving us an honest review to help get the word out about the show. You can also hit that like button on YouTube or Facebook or wherever you happen to be, be watching it. You'll find links to all the places where you can watch it over at BillMeeks.com slash where I'm from, all one word, or just go to BillMeeks.com. It's right there on the front page. Uh, Now, if you want to talk to me about where you're from, or you have any reactions to any of the guests I had on throughout the course of season one, feel free to shoot me an email, Bill at BillMeeks.com. As for the show, when we go live, we go live over at youtube.com slash at and then publish the episode after editing a couple weeks later at youtube.com slash at where I'm from podcast, or just search where I'm from podcast on iTunes or on uh, YouTube rather, or iTunes, wherever you find your podcast or YouTube videos. Uh, now, uh, I think that does it for this sampler platter. I hope you're full. I hope you don't have to buy any items here at the Costco because you're so full of wonderful samples from the first season of Where I'm From. Join us next time when I talk to somebody else about where they're from. See you soon.